Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. You know, I, I believe in this. I believe that, church, we're called to help people find freedom. I, I believe the first priority for us as a church is to help people find freedom. People find freedom through knowing Jesus. People find freedom from bondages and hindrances and things that hold them back. And we have to make room for people to find freedom. Sometimes freedom is immediate. It's like they've been chained up by things all their life and Jesus will break the chain. Sometimes I find that freedom is like picking a lock where there's, okay, that clicks in and that clicks in and that clicks in. And when it all clicks, there's just this release. We're called to help people find freedom. We're called to live in freedom and allow Jesus to do that in us, but help people find freedom as well. I believe we're also called to equip people to live the journey. Do you know that Jesus changes lives five kilometres an hour? Wherever He went in His earthly ministry, He walked. You'll find no account of Jesus gallivanting around on a horse and chariot, living up the opportunity to be beyond people. He, he walked with people wherever He went. And He still walks with us today. Jesus is in no rush. Sometimes we're the ones in the rush. This needs to happen, that needs to happen. That has to have changed. But yet, as we follow Jesus, we get to live the journey. And as you live the journey, He transforms you as you go. It's amazing. It's almost like you look back and say, man, that thing I used to wrestle with, I don't wrestle with anymore. Yeah, it's because you're living the journey. Jesus is changing you as you go. Sometimes you recognise it. Sometimes it takes somebody else to recognise it in you. And then we're ultimately called to empower each other to reach beyond. I live for the day where I hear accounts of people who have next door neighbours going through extreme battles saying, hey, this might sound weird, but can I just pray for you right here, right now? And they just put their hand on their shoulder and pray a prayer of freedom and release. And that that sparks a revolution in families that are yet to encounter the love of God. We're called to help people find freedom. We're called to equip people to live the journey. We are called to empower people to reach beyond. And you have a part to play. You have a part to play because the gift of God that's in you is meant to be given to others in Jesus' Name. Let me bring a condensed version of what I wanted to bring today. It comes out of Luke chapter 6, verse 6 to 11. We're starting a new focus that we'll get into more throughout the next couple of weeks of freedom anointed or find freedom. And I want you to hear this. It says in Luke 6, verse 6 to 11, now it happened on another Sabbath. The Sabbath was the day of rest in Jewish culture. It was very important to the whole way of life that you would work for six days, but rest on the seventh. And that day was meant to be given as an act of worship. The Sabbath was very important throughout Scripture because what it meant was that I wasn't gonna live life on my own strength. I was going to live life surrendered. 
So instead of trying to do everything that I could to fix me or fix the situations around me, I have the confidence and the trust to say, Lord God, out of every seven days I get, I'm gonna dedicate one to You. And it's primarily for focus is to rest and recuperate so that I can continue serving You. Some of us need to adopt that idea. In the Jewish culture, the Sabbath was on a Saturday. For me and my family, Saturday is family day. We have to do something that recharges and reconnects us with each other. It says this in Luke 6 verse 6, Now it happened on another Sabbath, also that He, speaking of Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. The synagogue there in that culture was similar to a church gathering. But imagine a church gathering without the Spirit of God, without any love and without any affection for each other. That was what that setting was. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that He entered the synagogue and taught and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Can you say that with me? Withered. Can you say it one more time? Withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched Him, Jesus closely, whether He would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against Him. See, the scribes and the Pharisees were local religious leaders who had added to the law of God, had added to the Scriptures a whole host of other requirements. And one of them was that they, they would take truth and they would twist it with error. And so they took the principle of the Sabbath, having a day of rest dedicated to God, and they added to it a whole host of rules that you can't do this on the Sabbath, you can't do that, you must follow this, you must be exact. And they ended up setting up a system that no human could match. It was a system of control and condemnation. And so it was in this system that is speaking that Jesus comes into a synagogue with the scribes and the Pharisees, watching Him closely. What are they watching? They're seeing if He's gonna work on the Sabbath. They wanna see if He's gonna heal the sick, as if that's a bad thing. It's shocking to me that I read this Scripture and it seems that they have complete understanding that Jesus can heal the sick. Jesus can do amazing things, but yet they don't want Him to do it on the Sabbath because they've got their own rules about it. How crazy is that? Goes on to say, but He knew their thoughts. Isn't that an interesting thing? Jesus knows what we think. And He said to the man who had the withered hand, can you say that with me again? Withered. He said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? See, it's interesting that Jesus wouldn't ask questions for permission. Have you ever been around somebody who will ask questions to get permission? Like, is this okay? Is that okay? Is this okay that I do that? Jesus didn't ask for permission. He asked to highlight how faulty their thinking was. He didn't need their permission. What He wanted to do was to reveal how far away they were from the heart of God. The questions of Jesus cut, but they cut in a way that exposes how far we are from who we're called to be. I'll ask you one thing, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? 
In verse 10, And when he looked around them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they, the leaders of that time, were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they may do to Jesus. Just in the last few minutes of this service, talking about freedom and what it means to find freedom. I'd skipped past that story, I don't know how many times. And it was highlighted to me this week how powerful this moment actually was. See, in the culture of that day, to have a withered hand, but not just a withered hand, a withered right hand, was a big deal. It's not something where we would really pick up on it in our culture, but in that culture, the right hand was significant. Nothing against any left-handed person in the room. But in that culture of that day, the right hand came to signify both power and authority. And if somebody didn't have use of their right hand, in that culture where they believed that you were repaid evil for evil, they assumed that you had done something bad and you were getting what you deserved. So to have a withered right hand meant that there was something wrong in you or in your family. And Jesus walks into a religious gathering, into a synagogue, and there in that area is a man with a withered hand, a withered right hand. What did that mean? Well, it meant that in that culture, when you would fight, you would use your right hand to control your sword. So even if you were born left-handed, they taught you how to fight right-handed because it was outside of their understanding to use any other hand to fight. It had to be the right hand. And so people were taught to fight with their right hand, but if you didn't have use of your right hand, you couldn't fight. And if you couldn't fight, you couldn't protect yourself. And if you couldn't protect yourself, you couldn't be invited into certain parts of the world. So already we know that this man with the withered right hand had lost his ability to fight. He was relegated to the world around him and was unable to make a difference by force of his will. The other issue with the right hand is that the right hand was what they would use to impart blessing. They would say, take the right hand and, and to lay hands on people. And the idea in that culture was, again, nothing against left-handed people. You guys are amazing. You make the best cricket batsmen in the world. But in that culture, when you would lay hands on somebody to impart a blessing, it was always with the right hand, but with a withered right hand, there was no blessing He could impart. Finally, when you went over to somebody's house for dinner and you would eat in that culture, like in many other cultures around the world, you ate with your right hand because you used your left hand for other things. And so it was shameful to be at the table of fellowship and use any other hand to eat except for your right hand. Here is a man who has lost his fight, has lost his favour and has lost fellowship. He's there in the midst of people around him, but he's there in the background. He's watching life pass him by because everything about him, even beyond his hand is withered. That word in the Scriptures, withered, means to be deprived of life. To Here's what it literally means, to have life sucked out of you. 
It's like this. I, I don't know if any parents of young kids can testify to this, but Rhiannon and I, with the amazing gift we have with Zoe who's seven and Flynn who's five, they have this amazing capacity that they're always hungry. They never stop eating. They love, they love to eat. And so we have a rule. You, you can eat however much fruit you want, but that's it. Come on. And so every couple of weeks, I'll get the thought that while our living room looks tidy, there's a certain part of it that may not be. And we push the couch back. And without fail, you'll find their dehydrated whole apples with one bite out of it that maybe wasn't crunchy enough to eat. We'll find whole mandarins that are no longer orange. They're now a distinct shade of black. And you see things that are withered and dried up. Life can get that way sometimes. Life can get that way because as we choose to become isolated and pull back, as we remove ourselves from the fight, as we lose our opportunities for favour, as we disconnect from fellowship, what happens to us is we begin to wither. And when we begin to wither, we begin to coil into ourselves. We begin to hide. We begin to pull back. And maybe we're in the vicinity of people around us, but people around us don't actually know us. Because how dare we expose ourselves so that they can see how much we've withered. And what I love about Jesus is that He walks into that space and He sees the man. He knows the thoughts of the people in the room, but He sees the man. He sees the man because He has come to give freedom. Those the Son sets free are free indeed. And while He could see the thoughts and hear the thoughts of all those in the room, He could see a man who was ready to respond to the invitation of freedom. And Jesus says to the man, He says, arise and stand up. Can you just imagine for a moment somebody with a withered right hand in that culture who's ostracised, who cannot fight, who has no favour and has no fellowship, who is there but not really there. The type of person that you look at, but you look beyond. The type of person that you might stick out your hand to shake hands with and then realise they can't restore the favour and so you move on gently. That man is pointed out by Jesus. He points him out and he says, arise and stand up. And in the original language, that word arise doesn't simply mean get up. It means in the original language, wake up. It means come awake, wake up. It's also used to call dead things back to life. Come back to life. Don't live life withered and severed and cut off. Arise, come back to who you are and who you're called to be. Jesus calls him out and says, arise and says, stand up. Stand up means to be established firm. Jesus says, come back to yourself, stand before me. And He doesn't get him to stand before him to ridicule him, to shame him. He does it to invite him. He says, stretch out your hand. The hand that had been hidden and curled in. And He stretches it out. Can you just imagine that moment? how that would have felt. And it says, as he stretches out his hand, 
It's restored. The word restored means reconstituted. It's as if in His extending the hand, that which was withered now gets connected to life and it comes back to itself fully restored. Somebody who had lost their fight, lost their favour and lost their fellowship there before Jesus is brought to freedom because He was willing to stretch out that which was hidden and to see Jesus make it whole. In our last few minutes left, why did I bring that word today? Because I believe that church, God is inviting every single one of us to live in freedom. But freedom begins with an understanding that Jesus wants to meet us where we're at so that He can take us to where we are called. And there's a sense in me, and it could just be me, that Jesus by His Spirit is calling us to no longer be people who draw back, to be people who do not allow the drawing back of disappointment or despondency and disillusionment to hold us back from what God has called us to be. We are not called to live live withered lives, but lives that are to be reconstituted and restored. It says in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, So do not fear for I am with you. Listen to this, listen to this. This is the words of God to us today. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Don't be despondent. Don't allow disillusionment to set in. You know what disappointment is? Disappointment is a series of unmet expectations that are stacked on top of each other until they become disillusionment and we start to lose faith in what God wants to do. Can you imagine being the man with the withered hand? See, the Pharisees and the scribes knew that Jesus could heal. Remember, they're watching Him on the Sabbath. They wanna shut down healing because it's too good. Could you just imagine the man with the withered hand sitting there? I wonder if he's amongst the group of the scribes and the Pharisees saying, nah, Jesus shouldn't do this. But yet he's called out. Could you imagine all the disappointment and disillusionment that is stored up in his heart that Jesus calls out with that word, arise, wake up. Come back to yourself, come back to life. So the call of Jesus will always call us out from death into life, out from darkness into light, out from uh, aimlessness into purpose. Because here's what He does. So do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I wanna finish with this thought. Scripture says in the book of Hebrews that for the joy set before Jesus, if I invite the worship team, just maybe lies just come up on keys. We won't go back into worship. I've extended the time too much. But in the book of Hebrews, it says, talking about Jesus, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. I don't know about you. I don't know if I'd get joy from that. I don't know if you set me up today and said, hey, Chris, we, we've got a great afternoon planned. We've, we're, gonna, we're gonna do some fun stuff. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here it is. I'm gonna crucify you. 
There's, there's no idea of fun in that, but yet the Scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 12 that for the joy set before Him, what is Jesus, sadistic? He's not. He, what He sees is you. You are the joy of Jesus. You were the joy that allowed Him to go to the cross with such authority and freedom that He was willing to lay down His life so that you could live free, no longer withered and pulled back, no longer out of the fight, out of favour, out of fellowship, but reconstituted and restored. See, in the book of Hebrews, it says, For the joy set before Him, you are the joy of Jesus. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. Can you imagine that? The man with the withered hand had lived his life in shame. So we know in other portions of Scripture that they would point out sick people, handicapped people to Jesus. And they would say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Because it was a shame-based culture. Obviously, he'd done something wrong. Obviously, he's getting what he deserved. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But here's what Jesus said. Neither. This had happened so that the goodness of God may be revealed. And He healed all those who were sick and oppressed by evil spirits. In Hebrews 12, Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. You don't have to live your life in shame. You don't have to live your life held back in yourself, condemning yourself, saying, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. Now Jesus embraced the shame by scorning it. It had nowhere to stick on Him. Your shame is off you. And it went on to Him when He was on the cross and He scorned that thing. How dare you have any control in anybody's world? How dare anybody live so low that they don't know who they're called to be? They are not whether they are alive reconstituted and restored. Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame and has sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Jesus is the right hand of God. And the right hand of God means that you may have a withered right hand, but as you come into an encounter with Him, He restores you as you go. Let Jesus be your right hand. Let Jesus be your right hand, the one that empowers you to fight. I'm not telling you to go out there and get a sword and gun and run down in the middle of the street picking fights with people along the way. That's not what I mean. But the fight of life means I will not let life rule me. I will not let life rule me. I will rule over life in Jesus because I'm seated in heavenly places. Let the fight of God take hold. Do not live so limited. You are restored because the right hand of God grabs hold of you. Jesus Himself, by His Spirit, empowers you to fight the good fight. Do not give up. He establishes favour, the blessings, the grace, which means that when you get into a position where you feel like you don't have enough, that's great because now you're in a position to receive. I don't know enough, I don't have enough, I can't do enough. That's great, come to Jesus in that. And what He does is He'll pour out His grace and His favour on you so you live a life of favour wherever you go. Jesus is the right hand that you need to fight for favour 
and then for fellowship. Church, we all have a part to play with each other and we're seeing the Kingdom of God extended in our time. Do not pull back from making room for people in your world because what's on you is a gift for others. Fight, favour, fellowship. I love it. None of us are called to live withered and cut off, but to live restored, renewed and revitalised. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.